This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We were in this chapter last week and um, continue in this chapter today. There's a very important verse of Scripture couple of verses of scripture at the end of this chapter that um, have probably, as you've read that, uh, those two verses, and we'll get to those in just a moment, you've kind of scratched your head over that. There's another verse of scripture. Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 25 and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Another verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that's, um, that's so important. And here's what 1 Corinthians 4 and chapter, chapter 4 and verse 2 says. It says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Our lesson today is on being faithful stewards. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives us this challenge in this verse of Scripture that, <clears throat> that is required of us as stewards to be found faithful. Um, the word steward or stewardship, two different Greek words, they come from the same word, but uh, two different aspects of, this, uh, of the word. These two words appear some 14 times in the New Testament. Uh, they appear in the Hebrew text in the Old Testament many, many more times than that, but particularly in the New Testament, these two terms, steward and stewardship, 14 times. And here's what Thayer, in his Greek-English lexicon, this is how he defines these terms. He says, uh, a steward or stewardship is the manager or the management of a household or of household affairs, a superintendent to whom the head of the house has entrusted the management of his affairs, an overseer. And God calls us stewards. What are we stewards over? We're stewards over the household of God. We're stewards. God has, made, God has given us a stewardship of everything that belongs to him. Um, God says the whole world belongs to him, doesn't it? And God has made us stewards. You realize in, in Genesis chapter 1, and, and we're going to go uh, there in just a moment, or Genesis chapter 2 actually, that God gave us dominion over his creation. He gave us a stewardship over his creation. And then when we come to the New Testament, God says, I want you to be faithful stewards. I want to trust you with this. That uh, meaning of stewardship that we read just a few moments ago, a good example of that is Joseph in the Old Testament, where he was made, uh, he was put over Potiphar's house, the whole household. Potiphar trusted him to be a steward over all of his affairs. And we know from reading the scripture what a faithful steward he was. And we don't need to get into that. I think that that was a part of last week's lesson anyway. But um, last week uh, in the lesson that we saw last week from Matthew chapter uh, 25, um, we attempted to explain our job as stewards. And to summarize in just a few words this, 
First of all, we don't own what we have. We call it ours. Our, our name is on our car title. Um, our name is on the title deed of our home. And um, our, our bank account has our name on it. But we have to realize that even though our name may be put on it, that's, our name is attached to these documents because it's a legal requirement in this society. But the truth is, folks, you and I have to realize that all of that that we have doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to God. It's all his. And God has just given us a stewardship over it. Um, so anyway, um, <clears throat> um, uh, we don't own what we have, our money, our jobs, our families, our bodies, even our brains. It all belongs to God. And so Paul tells us that we are to be faithful managers in that position of God's possessions. And then secondly, the second thing that we learned last week was that we're stewards to use what we have for his purpose, God's purpose, and not ours. And... Uh, these two things are important for us to, uh, to not only uh, know, but to remember and to keep in the forefront of our, our minds constantly. What are those purposes? What are God's purposes for us? Uh, this is kind of the topic of our lesson for today. But be, before you became a Christian, your life was, was accumulating, was all about accumulating things for yourself. I said that's what, that's, what, uh, that's what your life was before you became a Christian. The truth is that's what my life was before I became a Christian. It was all about accumulating things for myself. But then when we became a Christian, we thought this, okay, I got it now. Uh, it's not about doing stuff for me. It's about doing stuff for God. Well, that's a good conclusion to come to. However... And, and actually, we, we took that same mindset and applied it to God, uh, accumulating things for ourselves and saying, well, I'm doing this for the glory of God. But, you know, sometimes we think things and we say things and we do things that really, in reality, we're not doing. Even though we say we're using our possessions for God's glory, we're accumulating possessions for God's glory you know sometimes in reality that's not really why we're accumulating this or that's not why we are involving ourselves in in um, making money or accumulating things or whatever it's not really for God's glory it's it's for us and that's because I believe we have lost we have lost the the important point that it doesn't belong to us. It's not ours. It's God's. And whatever God allows us to have in our possession is his. And we need to use it, genuinely use it, all for his glory. And so there's a big problem with, with that kind of thinking. You know, God doesn't really need our help anyway. In Psalm 50 and verse 12, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. And God's not sitting in heaven hoping that we'll wake up someday to lend him a hand. 
And not only is he able to do everything that we can do, but he can do it a whole lot better than we can do it. But I want you to think about something. Think about this with me for a moment. God has allowed us to be involved in his program and his purposes by making us a part of his program to fulfill his purposes. You ever think about that? God has been gracious to allow us to be a part of his program for the purpose of fulfilling his purposes. And um, he has allowed us to be stewards over everything that belongs to his program and his purposes. He trusts us weak, flawed, bungling creatures to manage everything that belongs to him. And all he requires of us is just to be faithful managers of it. Uh, I've often heard people, and I think they genuinely mean it when they say it, you know. You know, I'm just a, a weak, frail individual. I have to get on my knees before God and confess that I've failed him. And we all, we're all at that point in life sometimes, aren't we? We're frail, we're weak, we're bungling, we mess up things. But God has elected to use us to be stewards over what belongs to him. That's amazing. When God himself can do it all, and he could do it a whole lot better than we do. You know, one of the things I, I had to learn <clears throat> in the course of my ministry was that um, I, I used to think nobody could do it as good as I can do it. Uh, that's pretty presumptuous, isn't it? But I used to have that attitude, so I'd go about doing it all myself. And then one day I discovered that somebody else can do the same thing and do it probably just as good or better than I can do it. And so I, I learned how to delegate responsibility and let other people do it. They may not have done it exactly the way I would have done it, but they got the job done. Well, the same thing is true, I think, in God's economy, you know. Uh, God could do it so much better than we can do it, but he takes us weak, frail, uh, stumbling, bumbling human beings and says, I've got a job for you. I want you to be stewards over everything that's mine. Wow, think about that. You know, that kind of makes us important and valuable in God's economy, doesn't it? Well, <clears throat> why does God give us thing, things? What's his purpose in our stewardship? And so to get the right answer uh, to that question, let's go to Matthew chapter 25 and take a look at it. We have to keep in mind that today's lesson is all about uh, God's goal for our stewardship generally. Our money, our time, our jobs, our families, our bodies, everything to be good stewards, faithful stewards over what has God has given to us. I'm not going to read this whole passage. I'll summarize some of it then but I want to bring you to the last point here. Beginning in verse 14 of Matthew chapter um, 25, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling in a far country who called uh, his own servants to deliver unto them his goods. And so we know the story. He gave five talents to one of his servants. He gave two talents to a second servant. And then he gave one talent to the third servant. And their job was to be good stewards over what his, the master gave them. 
we have to understand that the master in this parable is speaking of God, that he's the master in the parable. Uh, at least that's, what the, that's what's being pictured here is God. And so <clears throat> the master went away. He came back, and he brought into account his three servants, uh, the one to whom he gave five talents. He says, um, how'd you do? And he said, Master, I, I, uh, I took those five talents and I invested them. I, I used them. I was a good steward, and here's ten talents in, in return, five more than what he got. And notice what the Lord said to him. Verse 21, he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And then he went to the second servant, to whom he had given two talents. And uh, the same thing virtually happened. And, and his message, our Lord's message, the master's message to that second servant who only had two talents, but what did he do? He was a good steward. And, um, and so the two talents that that, that second steward give, um, had, he invested it and returned double. And our Lord said virtually the same thing to him. And that brings us to the third steward. By the way, let me point out something. Um, Pastor Long may have pointed this out last week. I, I don't remember. Uh, it happened a week ago, so I don't remember. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but you know, God doesn't always give us talent equally. But the result of the faithfulness of those first two talents was the same, wasn't it? Our first two servants, I mean, was the same. The one who got five talents, what did he do? He returned double. He was a good steward over that. The same was true of the one who was given two talents. He returned double because he was a good steward over that. Well, and that brings us to this third um, servant. And let's just go to the very first point in the outline. Why does the faithful servant go to hell? You ever thought about that? The first two didn't, but the third one did. Did, he, did, did, did the master send him to hell because, because he, he only gave him back one talent? He didn't double it? You ever think about that? Do you know what the answer to that question is? Well, we're going we're gonna to give you the answer to that question here in just a moment, but let's read it. Uh, let me see. The Lord said, uh, uh, verse 24, Then he which received one, uh, one talent came and said, Lord, uh, I knew thee that thou were a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, um, there thou hast, uh, that is thine. In other words, he gave him the one talent back. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawed. Um, <clears throat> thou oughtest therefore to have given, have put, the, put uh, my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury, with, uh, in, with uh, interest. Take therefore the talent from him that gave it unto him, 
and, uh, and, and give it unto him which hath the ten talents. For, every, for unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. Uh, for, uh, but from him that hath shall be taken away even, uh, away, even that which he hath. And then notice verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we ask the question, why does the faithless servant go to hell? That's what happened here. Uh, the master said, you're going to go to hell. Why? Well, <clears throat> here's why. There was no faith in God. He didn't have any faith in God. There was no manifestation of faith whatsoever on his part here. And believe it or not, what's going on here is actually the gospel. The Lord is giving the gospel here. He said, um, if we take this essential component of faith out of the whole parable, this parable turns into moralism. Now, what is moralism? Well, it's uh, do a lot for God, and uh, he'll be pleased with you. That's moralism. And, you know, a lot of people believe that, that, you know, if I do enough things for God, God's going to let me get into heaven. I used to believe that. I used to think that if uh, I, I kind of viewed the way into heaven as kind of a scale, a balance. And uh, when I did something bad, then God would put that over here on this side and it would tip the balance like this. When I did something good, God would put it on this side and it bring the balance back. And I did something wrong, and it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth like this. And, and I figured out as a kid that if I could do more, more good things for the Lord and had, my, had the balance tipped this way, that God would let me go to heaven. And then I realized that it's not what I do whether it's good or bad, it's not what I do that I go to heaven. The key to going to heaven is faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, but this man had no faith. He didn't believe his master. He didn't believe what the Lord was saying. So the key is what this servant's actions said about his master. He tried to have things both way. If the master returned, uh, he would simply return the talent to him. But if his master didn't return, he would just spend his time, the time that his master's away, working for himself. And he simply stashed the talent away to return it if the master returned. And while, uh, while he turned his attention to doing whatever he wanted to do, what he wished to do, uh, he, he didn't give any attention to being a good, stir, good steward of what God had given to him, what the master had given him to do. There was no faith. In other words, he didn't trust that his master was going to even return. If he comes back, I'll have this. I'll give it back to him. If not, then, you know, I guess I'll keep it for myself. And so there was a lack of faith um, on his part. Uh, he said this. He, uh, he, said, he said to his masters, I know that thou art an hard man. 
And by that, he showed that he didn't, he didn't know his master at all. His actions revealed his false view about the excellent and the faithfulness of his master. And so he had no faith whatsoever. Now we contrast this with the actions of the, of the other two servants, the first two. They invested everything on the strength of their master's promise. He promised that he would return. And he would reward them at his return for their stewardship. And they trusted in that. But this third servant had no faith that he had no faith that his master was going to return. So letter B, there is a difference between saving faith and demonic faith. You know, most people who do not have saving faith in Jesus Christ, actually demonstrate demonic faith. For example, um, James tells us that the demons believe and they tremble. That's in James chapter 2 and verse 19. Even the de demons believe in, believe in God and they tremble at that. But they don't have saving faith. They believe there's a God and they believe that they're going to have to be accountable to him somehow because they tremble. But it's not saving faith. They don't put their faith in Christ for salvation. And so what a difference between, what is the difference between demonic faith and saving faith? Well, here it is. Saving faith does not simply believe facts about God. It believes that God is good for us. That his rewards are worthy, are worthy goals for our lives. Saving faith believes that God is so trustworthy that we can trust him with our soul. We can also trust him with our lives and our substance and leave everything else behind. When we live that way, our faith becomes living testimonies of how good and desirable God is. We, we picture God, and we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments, but we are a representative of God, and we picture him, and what we do images who God is. We tell people who God is by the way we live as Christians. And um, when we say, I want to go to heaven, uh, but I want to do it my way and, uh, and don't rely on, and trust on God's plan, our lives become, our lives become te living testimonies that he's not trustworthy. We're just like the faithless servant that we find in Matthew chapter 25. In Jesus' parable, the rich young fool, remember that uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke? He builds bigger barns to hold his wealth, but he dies and he finds that he doesn't actually have anything. What Jesus call him? Say it. What did he call him? Thou fool. He was trusting in his wealth. He was trusting in the accumulation that he had, but he didn't trust God. God called him, God called him a fool. And um, would things have been different if he had given 10% of what God had given to him before, to God before he built those bigger barns? I don't think so. The problem was not how he spent his money. It was, was, what, it, was, was, it was with 
what he was hoarding or how he was hoarding and what he was saying about who God is. His actions, his actions lied about the character of God. He didn't really trust God. He wasn't trusting God. So what is God's purpose for our stewardship? Well, the parable, this parable has the answer. The purpose is that we be faithful in our stewardships, that our lives proclaim how excellent and trustworthy and satisfying God is. Every decision that you and I make says something about who God is. We image him. And um, stewardship is not about separating good Christians from better Christians. Uh, it is about whether or not we have saving faith that allows us to have unwavering, unwavering trust in, in the living God who has promised to reward our faithful stewardship when he returns. And uh, that's what good stewardship is. It's not separating good Christians with better Christians, from better Christians. So Roman numeral number two, faithfulness proclaims who God is, and we've been alluding to this. But faithfulness, our faithfulness proclaims who God is. What we do matters because it reveals what God has done in us. Stewardship is not, much, is not so much about uh, what we are doing, but rather it's about what we're going to say about God by our lives. Our faithfulness betrays, best betrays who God is. For God is faithful. And for that, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and look at a couple of verses in the first uh, couple of chapters of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to actually look at verses 27 and 28. What we do matters because it reveals what God has done in us. Uh, stewardship is not so much about what we're doing. Rather, it's about what we're doing. What is more, uh, it's what we're doing says about who God is. Our faithfulness portrays God. Because we are made in the image of God. That's letter A. We are made in the image of God. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So God, we're made in the image of God. We learn that here in this first chapter in God's creation. That we image God in our lives. We uniquely represent God, and our value is derived from how faithfully we reflect God's image. Um, just like the servant in Matthew 25, our value is in what our choices say about our master. He created us to reflect his image and his glory. That's the reason why God made us. We are made in his image. And then in verse 28, letter B, we are to reflect the image of God. Not only did God make us in his image, but notice what it says in verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. What's that tell us? That tells us that we are to mirror the image of God. How does that come out of this verse? Well, listen. 
How do we do that? How do we reflect the image of God? This verse 28 tells us that, uh, that it's through what we do. Uh, we, uh, we image God through relationship when we procreate life and fill the earth. We image God through what we do as we exercise dominion or stewardship over his creation. He's made us stewards over his creation, have dominion, he says. But the key is that these things matter only because uh, that it's how we image God. It's the way that we reflect God in our life. We are valuable because we are we are valuable because we image God, and that image is expressed through what we do. Uh, we are to replenish the earth. We're to take dominion over God's creation and do what God wants us to do. Uh, we're to be good stewards over God's creation. That's how we reflect His image. And uh, this is not, well, I'm going to skip that paragraph. We're, we're going to run out of time here. Letter C, the image of God was disfigured in us. When we get to chapter 3, we find that Adam and Eve sinned. And um, what did God curse? The first thing he cursed was our relationship according to 3.16, chapter 3, verse 16. Let's look at it. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So the first thing he cursed was our relationship. The second thing he cursed is found in verse 17, he cursed our work. Verse 17, he says, And unto Adam he said, uh, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of, the, of thy wife, and hast eaten the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat, eat it of uh, all the days of thy life. And so that image that God made us in became disfigured. Uh, he cursed our relationships. He cursed our work. Our, our work. Uh, and so why curse the very thing that he commanded us to do in chapter 1? He commanded us in chapter 1 to procreate, fill the earth, to take dominion over all of his possessions. Uh, he did so because neither relationship alone nor work alone will satisfy God. And in his mercy, he protects us from finding, uh, from, from, uh, from finding uh, value simply in what we do apart from who we are in the image of God. So after Genesis chapter 3, our image of God became distorted. It became, quit, uh, became twisted because of sin. But when we became Christians, when we came, became uh, born again, um, we became more than new creations in Christ. We became a new creation for sure. We are reborn into his image a second time as redeemed human beings, which means our lives now have the opportunity to speak even more loudly about the excellency of God. God has put us in a position as Christians where we can image him to a point now that we're born again that image has been restored in us. When we got saved, 
His image was restored in us, and you and I can reflect his image before men. And by the way we reflect him in our stewardship, in our faithful stewardship, men can see God more clearly. They can understand more clearly the excellency of God and, and the glory of God because we are to reflect that in our life. And um, uh, this is the reason God has given us all that he's given us. Think about all the gifts that you've received from God. Some of you, that's musical talent, artistic talent maybe, or gift with numbers or languages. Uh, for some, it may be your family, your friends, education, maybe even a bank account, a job, or even your work ethic. These are all gifts that God has given to us. And it's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says this, What hast thou that, has, that thou hast not received? Oh, you say, well, I made it. I worked for that. Really? You know everything we have, God gave it to us? Everything. Yeah, you, you, you worked for it, but, but it was a gracious God, a glorious God that allowed you to get that. And, um, and you were good stewards to be able to get that. But uh, we don't have anything that we have not received. And the, and the implication is here, here is, what do you have that you haven't received from God? Nothing is the answer to that question. And so um, he gave us these things to glorify him. And that by using them, we can show off the image of God, how good he is and how amazing he is. Roman number, number three. Number three. Faithfulness matters more than results. We like to see results. We, we, we want to see results. But you know, tr the truth is that our faithfulness really is more important um, than results. And so letter A, the importance of faithfulness in stewardship. Most of us evaluate the, evaluate the worth of our lives based upon the results we get from our lives or on what we do rather than on faithfulness to our stewardship. That is that what our lives say about God. God's more important. God's, God's uh, more interested in what our lives say about him than the, than the results that we get from what we do. That's the point here. Um, Failure, uh, what, is it that, what is it that you're more afraid of? Are you afraid of failure or faithlessness? Most of us are more afraid of failure than we are of our faithlessness. Failure is all about, is all about us. That is not living up to our potential. Faithlessness is about the way we treat God living in a way that reflects our mistrust of him. For example, in God's will, our job is to be more concerned about, be more concerned with faithfulness than, the, than results. Our faithfulness reflects who God is. Uh, he will take care of, God will take care of the results. Notice this example, for example. You live on, you live on a hilltop so you don't buy flood insurance. 
And that appears to be very reasonable, a good stewardship decision. But, a, but an unusual, ferocious flood hit your area. And guess what? It engulfed your house. You lost everything. Now, you had planned to go to the mission field when you retired, but because you lost everything, you can't do that now. Have you failed? Well, if you, if you look at the results, yes, I guess you failed. But if you look at it from the standpoint of faithful stewardship and leave the results to God, you've not failed. You can stand before the Lord and give an account of your stewardship to Him, even though God's plan clearly resulted in different circumstances than you intended or even that you expected. But, you know, we, we look at the results and say, I failed. I didn't do what I should have done. You didn't know what God was going to do and send the flood. You thought you made a good stewardship decision. And so it's not the results that God's so much interested in. It's, it's your faithfulness in stewardship. Here's another one. A man and wife are in the middle of, a successful, in the middle of successful careers. He's a lawyer. She's a doctor. When they first had children, the couple agreed that the wife would significantly cut back her work as a doctor in order to stay at home to raise the children. The husband tries to encourage her in that decision by reminding her how important her work as a mom is. However, after a few years of being home with the children, the wife asks, how can changing diapers and wiping noses be more important than saving lives in the emergency room? And in that moment, the husband begins to think that all of his reassurances about the importance of motherhood are chasing after the wrong thing. Is wiping noses more important than saving lives? Well, that's the wrong question to ask. That question places the value of our lives on results and not on the faithfulness of our stewardship. Instead, the question should have asked the, the question the couple should have asked this question. What is our faithful stewardship? God called his wife to be a mom. How do we know that? Well, we know that because there's children in the home. And guess where children come from? They come from God. On the one hand, there's no such divine calling for her to be a doctor. Uh, maybe a God-given opportunity, but not a divine calling. And so her first job is to be faithful in her calling as a mom. And this requires being home with the children. You see, we have to decide to let God, uh, we have to decide what, what God considers to be the most important thing. Uh, he is the chess master. We are the chess pieces to be moved by the master's hand. We go willingly and obediently where he puts us uh, with the goal of being faithful stewards of what God has given us and leaving the results to him. Now, generally speaking, there are two problems with living for results. And let me hurriedly uh, share these. It really is afternoon, isn't it? <laughs> well, let me quickly do this because uh, it's not going to make sense to you if I don't do this. But let me just quickly share with you these two problems. First of all, if you live for results instead of living to be a faithful servant, you're blinded to what is eternally valuable. 
Consider the circumstance of the following Christian, two Christian men. Uh, which life is more valuable from heaven's perspective? The first, man, the first man spends his life struggling through mental illness. He never seems to thrive. He cannot hold down a permanent job, cannot invest in the lives of others, and he just survives. The second man heads up a large enterprise and seeks to give glory to God as his organization prospers. Both of these men are men of faith, and they love the Lord. And to the best of their abilities, they're trying to please God with the results of their work. But the, excuse me, they're trying to please God, but the results of their work are different. How can we possibly know which is more eternally valuable? Well, figuring that out's not our job. Our job is to be faithful stewards to the abilities that God gives us in whatever situation God puts us and, leaves, and leave the results to him. That's our job. When we find out what God wants us to do, that God, God expects us to be good stewards of that. And we leave the results to him. Let me give you just another brief example here. Let's compare that principle to the faithfulness of a person who is afflicted with Down syndrome or who is autistic with a person that we would consider to be normal. Which one's more important in God's sight? If somebody with that, if some, a child or an adult with Down syndrome or who is autistic is as faithful to his ability to God as he can be, is he, is he worth more to God than somebody that we can, would consider to be normal? Answer that in your own mind, and I think I know what the answer is. You realize that sometimes God's definition of normal is not the same as ours? And then the second thing, and I'm going to have to let you go with this. Number two, if we measure success by the results of what we do, we'll be disappointed. Because in Proverbs chapter 23, it says, Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as the eagles toward the heaven. As a doctor, every life you save will eventually die. As an engineer, every bridge you build will eventually fall down. Most of what you teach, people will forget. Most of what you write, nobody will ever read it. Cities are full of monuments to important people that you've never heard of. The bad news is that the results will not last, but faithfulness does. Faithful stewardship magnifies the glory and the goodness of God, and it will last forever, and that's far more valuable than the results. And then this, this final one caution here, uh, letter B, <clears throat> the caution of The caution of rivaling faithfulness of stewardship with results of stewardship. Results are important because sometimes we know how faithful we are by the results we get. But the truth is that God is far more important in our faithfulness. God is far more interested in our faithfulness than he is in, in results that we might get. 
Sometimes a missionary may labor on the mission field for years without a convert. And somebody may look at that and say, well, that missionary is a failure. Oh, really? Then we would have to say that Adonai Judson and some of the early missionaries were failures because they labored for years on mission fields and never got a convert until many years into their ministries. The truth is that if a missionary labors for 10 years and doesn't have any results, it may be because he is a lousy missionary. But then on the other hand, he may be just as faithful as any other missionary is, but for some reason the people are harder to reach. So faithfulness is important in our stewardship, and that's what God is interested in, the faithfulness of our stewardship more than the results that we get of our own work. Father, thank you so much for uh, your word, and I pray, God, that you will indeed help us to be faithful in the stewardships you've given to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.